This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody, welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio today and our program. Uh, we're going to be tackling a video that was released by Ligonier Ministries uh, where they were talking about cessationism, how to persuade people away from the uh, apostolic sign gifts, as they're often called. It's going to be an interesting program. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick, and and how do we interpret tongues, and should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. Man, we have got a great program for you guys today, discussing some more cessationist arguments, revisiting some of those things. But before we uh, dive into that subject matter, I want to remind you uh, that we are crowdfunded. And if you want to support the channel, the top two links of the video, you can do that. Uh, The first link is for PayPal. You can give any amount there on PayPal. And the one right underneath that is for Patreon. Choose to give on Patreon, get access to extra content, as low as uh, five bucks a month if you give there. Uh, lots of really great stuff for you today, but as a secondary reminder, uh, we are, I think, a thousand subs away from having a hundred thousand subscribers. Uh, so we're kind of excited about that. You should subscribe and have your friends subscribe because, well, I believe in our content and it just looks cool having an even 100,000 subscribers. That's the only reason I can. But especially the second one. But especially the second one. My OCD is like 99. I don't know. I like it. Um, Anyway. uh, Yeah. Fix that for me so I can sleep at night. Yeah. Well, we're talking about sign gifts today, guys. And uh, we are going to respond to some videos uh, from some scholars and pastors whom we love and respect and who are wonderful exegetes of scripture whom we very much disagree with on this one issue. Hate is a strong word, but we really, 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 really don't like the exegesis of what we, happens here in this video. We oppose it. We oppose it violently. And <laughs> I can't say violently. That's actually worse than hating. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, we actually, we really respect these guys uh, a lot. And uh, some of them we've had on the show and we'd love to have uh, more of them on the show. So, uh, we plan to to talk about this all in a respectful way, but we we very much uh, we we think that the argumentation uh, that they make is not the best, and so we're gonna we're gonna offer our responses, and uh, would certainly invite them on to to bring clarification or uh, you know maybe we can do a little back and forth, and we've we've done that before. Now, if you're if you're listening to this and you're wondering what are the sign gifts uh there's sort of a, a scholarly way of answering that and there is sort of a layman terms way of answering that the, the scholarly way is it goes to second corinthians 12 12 uh and it, it's a verse that talks about the signs of the of an apostle and so uh yeah we're not gonna have time to talk about that verse because we've already talked about it anyway go back and watch our video with Dr. Sam Storms called crushing cessationist arguments. Josh, I think you must have labeled that one. Uh, you, all this talk about like playing nice and all, and you call it crushing cessationist arguments. I love that. Uh, <laughs> so you guys can go back and check out that argument. And uh, and we talk through 2 Corinthians 12, 12 in detail. But for the layman's terms, sign gifts, uh, it's not a term that's really found in the Bible. Uh, there's no such thing as actual sign gifts. There are just gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, but when people use the language sign gifts, it's a human category created to talk about gifts that cessationists don't believe in, such as prophecy, tongues, healings, 
miracles, interpretation, and so on. And so basically, if it's too miraculous, they don't believe in it. Now, every cessationist will clarify, hey, I believe that miracles happen. God does do miracles, but it in, is some kind of gift of the Holy Spirit. No, they don't. And so, uh, but, but they do, to be clear, they do believe in miracles. So anyway, so that's a short explanation of sign gifts. And uh, Josh or Miller, Miller, we ha actually, we haven't had any, uh, we haven't heard from you yet today. How are you doing over there? in the basement <laughs> i'm doing good man you just have to have that little <laughs> reminder yeah sure. yeah i can't complain I'm, I'm heading out to new york tomorrow i'm taking archer with me and so that's about it gonna okay. hopefully teach on these ongoing sign gifts okay there you go there you go archer is michael's son for those who don't know okay so josh we uh we have some videos that you've queued up should we start playing them sounds good let's make it happen well, I would start with Ephesians 2, verse 20, that, the, uh, that Christ and the apostles are the foundation of the church. And those sign gifts were uniquely given to the apostles as a confirmation of their apostleship, as well as a means by which direct revelation would be given to them, to the church, uh, until such time as the canon of Scripture was completed. But when you build a building, how many times do you lay the foundation? You only lay it once. You don't lay a foundation on the roof. You don't lay a foundation on the second floor, the third floor, the fifth floor, and all the way up to the 21st floor. A foundation is only laid once. And God gave, Ephesians 2, 20, God gave revelation to Christ and to the apostles such that for the rest of the building of the church through the centuries, it's all built upon this one foundation. That was quick. I was like writing notes as he was stating this because there was one thing that he had made, he had stated in that video that I didn't catch the first time. He said that these things were uniquely gifted to the apostles. These apostolic sign gifts were uniquely gifted. Now, Michael mentioned earlier that apostolic sign gifts is a category that we reject, and you can dive more into that in our video with Sam Storms where he talks about like the dative case of these words that are being used. Is he saying that the signs of an apostle were done among you and miracles, like the miracles were accompanied with these other signs? Uh, that seems to be how, how we read and understand the text. And you can get more of an unpacking of that there. But, but he said this, that these unique gifts, these unique signs were done among the apostles, whereas there was nothing unique about these specific charismatic gifts. Tongues was given to, you know, what is it, uh, 120 people on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. Um, it says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Philip's daughters prophesied. Stephen performed miracles. Non-apostles performed healings. Non-apostles performed tongues and prophecy. Uh, so, so to suggest that these were unique to the apostles somehow, uh, I think is a reaching argument that the Bible doesn't make. Do you guys want to pick up on another thing that Steve said in that quick clip? Oh, yeah. I mean, several things. I, I, I Actually, why don't I just read this? Here's a, a quote from Sam Storms. Uh, he says this in his book, Understanding Spiritual Gifts. He says, there's nothing to suggest that the prophets in Ephesians 2.20 is an exhaustive reference to all, pro all possible prophets in the church. Why should we conclude that the only kind of prophetic activity is foundational in nature, especially in light of the New what the New Testament says about the extent and the effect of prophetic ministry. Suffice it to say here that many cessationists seem to believe that once apostles and prophets cease to function foundationally, they cease to function altogether, as if the only purpose for the apostles and prophets was to lay a foundation for the church. Nowhere does the New Testament say, least of all in Ephesians 2.20, uh, that the text needs to say no more than that the apostles and prophets laid the foundation once for all and then ceased to function in that capacity, but nothing suggests they cease to function in any other capacity, much less that they cease to exist altogether. It's certainly true that only apostles and prophets lay the foundation of the church, but is anything but certain that that is the only thing they do? In a word, the portrayal in Acts and 1 Corinthians of who could prophesy and how it was to be done in the life of the church simply does not fit with cessationist assertion that Ephesians 2.20 describes all possible prophets, every one of whom function as part of the once-for-all foundation of the church. Rather, Paul was describing a limited group of prophets who were closely connected to the apostles, both of which spoke scripture-quality words essential to the foundation of the church universal. So uh, I, I think this is a great argument, and uh, I think it's a weak argument to suggest that every single uh, prophet and prophecy ever uttered in the New Testament was foundational to the laying, uh, uh, foundational to the existence of the church. 
uh, are we going to say that the prophets in Tyre in Acts 21, uh, that the prophecies that they uttered were foundational to the church? Are we going to say uh, that the daughters of Philip who prophesied everything they said was foundational church? By the way, I know these guys are all complementarians. Uh, are, are they saying that these women were prophesying things that were foundational to the church? Acts 2, 17 and following speaks of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church and the democratization of prophecy, the, the spirit of prophecy, that this uh, that your sons and your daughters would prophesy, your young men, your old men, that, that everybody gets to play. So are all of these people fitting within this category of apostles and prophets of Ephesians 2.20? Um, what, uh, what about in Acts 19, the, the former disciples of John who spoke in tongues and prophesied? Are we going to say that all of these people prophesied foundational things? What about the people in 1 Corinthians 14 that Paul says, if you're starting to prophesy and then for the sake of order in the church, somebody else has a prophetic word, you just shut your mouth and let this other guy talk. Well, what happens to the guy that shut his mouth? His foundational to the church prophecy? He's just going to bury it and not even say it? Like, I think this is just a, a very wrong understanding of prophecy. And uh, if Ephesians chapter 2 was about the cessation of spiritual gifts, um, then you would expect something about that in the context. But there's there's nothing of the sort. His point is that, hey, God's doing this brand new thing, this mystery that's never been revealed before. And, uh, and he's not just including Gentiles into the people of God as in like they have to convert to become Jews, but God is creating a new man. Uh, the church, uh, that's Ephesians chapter 2, which feeds into chapter 3. I want to read you a little section from Ephesians 3, which actually it's going to mention apostles and prophets again. And uh, and here's what it says. It says, when you, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it, is, as it has now been revealed to, see this, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, not second-class citizens, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The whole theme of the section, and these guys know this because, it was, I mean, they're, they're great exegetes of Scripture. They understand context. The context, Paul's argumentation, he's not trying to say, hey, guys, these, uh, these apostles and prophets, they're going to go away after a while. No, the whole <laughs> argument is about Gentile inclusion. And the reason apostles and prophets that are mentioned in Ephesians 2.20 is because contextually, he's going to mention them again in Ephesians 3, uh, I think it was verse 5, where they they received this groundbreaking revelation into the mystery of Christ that Gentiles are fellow heirs. And so they are foundational in the sense that they bring this all-important revelation to God's people of Gentile full inclusion, that we are all one new man, that we are God's holy temple. In, in that sense, they are foundational because if you don't have that foundation, Gentiles stay second tier citizens forever, but no, they are included in the people of God. This has nothing to do with what some dudes in Acts 19 randomly prophesied that we're never told. It has nothing to do with the son, what the sons and daughters prophesied in Acts chapter two. It has nothing to do with uh, the prophetic ministry that was taking place in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 14. This is talking about foundational, the the mystery of Christ of Gentile inclusion. And so I, I think it violates the context and has a, a context that has literally nothing to do with the cessation of spiritual gifts. So I so, think that's what so I would let say. Let me recap that just real quick. What you're saying or what the cessationist is saying is Ephesians 2.20 is speaking about all apostles and all prophets. And all of those, anyone who is apostolic and anyone who is prophetic, laid the foundation for the church. Uh, and, and because the foundation has been laid, we no longer need any apostles. We no longer need any prophets. Your response to that is, uh, is this Ephesians 2.20 talking about all apostles and all prophets? Or is it referring to a very small group of some apostles and some prophets? If it's referring to all apostles and all prophets laying the foundation— that means it includes Philip's daughters who are writing revel or not writing, but who are getting revelation that's on scripture quality. The cessationists would say, well, or the our reformed brothers who are on the other aisle here would say, hey, women can't teach the word of God, but they can infallibly declare something that's equal and foundational to 
the, the whole of the New Testament church through their prophetic ministry and children who aren't able to rightly divide the word of God, who might be new converts, that they can prophesy into this. And somehow this lays the infallible foundation for the church everywhere. We would look at that text and go, ah, Ephesians 2.20 is clearly speaking about some prophets, not all prophets. Is that a fair summation of what you're talking about, Michael? Uh, yes, it is. And I would definitely, I would, and I would put the caveat on that I would want us to keep reading past Ephesians 2.20 into Ephesians 3.5, where it explains the sense in which apostles and prophets were foundational in that they brought this groundbreaking, mysterious revelation of Gentile inclusion. This was not about every prophecy ever Fantastic. uttered, but about a specific kind of prophecy that uh, that was foundational. to Now, the apostles and prophets, they are the foundation of the church in the sense that they brought that kind of revelation. So, Good, Miller, do you have uh, anything you want to add to that conversation? Yeah. yeah, only the only thing that I would add to this, uh, I, I agree with complete with what Michael just said, but the other thing I would add on to it is if the uh, giving of the gifts is not about the foundational work of building the church. If that's actually not what he's talking about there in Ephesians, then what was the giving of the gift for? And for that, I think, uh, and this is an argument that nobody, no scholar that I know of has yet to respond to, which is the argument made by John Mark Ruthven, that when you just do a statistical analysis of descriptor words describing the work of the Spirit, 85% of the descriptor words in context characterize the Holy Spirit as acting in revelation, prophecy, and divine power. So if that's the primary role, if that's the scripture's emphasis on what the Holy Spirit does, then what kind of ramifications would that have on the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh? Your sons and your daughters. Um, I mean, what, what Joel 2 prophesies and what's fulfilled in Acts 2, and we are still recipients of that fulfillment that the giving of the Spirit um, is is primarily about the giving of divine power, uh, prophecy, and revelation. And that's good. And, and I think that you could also have a view that is reductionistic. Jack Gears speaks about this in Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. Um, he talks about how just because this group of apostles did, in fact, lay a foundation, it's not to say that that's all that the apostles did. It would be like, like me saying, you know, I go to, to James where it talks about praying the prayer of faith and people getting healed, um, you could take that one passage and go, therefore, prayer, the only thing prayer is for is healing the sick. Well, no, that that's not the only thing that prayer is for. That's a reductionistic view of prayer. And to say that the apostles, all that they did was lay the infallible foundation of the church, well, that's not, that's not all that they did, but it is what they did. Um, and it's a reductionistic view of those gifts. So I'd encourage people to check that out. I see Saved by Grace in the comment section asking about apostolic sign gifts. We very briefly touched on that, but I did leave you a comment uh, on our post on YouTube that was like 12 paragraphs long uh, that would uh, help you understand the difference between the date of cases of apostolic sign gifts that you can go uh, dig into at your own time. We just don't have enough time since we're responding to YouTube clips here in this video. So we have Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 that we just listened to. Are you guys ready for Hebrews 2, 3 uh, by yeah, Steve Nichols? <laughs> okay, <laughs> go ahead, Michael. Okay, so uh, I, I want to kind of trace. So we've seen apostles and prophets in Ephesians 2, then we saw them in Ephesians 3. Now let's look at them in Ephesians 4. And what I want you to see is that Ephesians 4 indicates that we'll actually have apostles and prophets with us much uh, for much longer, a much longer period of time than just the, quote, foundation laying in the apostolic era. Ephesians 4, 11, it says he gave uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So there you see already apostles and prophets doing more than just receiving foundational revelation for the church. They're also equipping the saints uh, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. But notice there's a time word here until we all attain to the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every uh, doctrine and craftiness and deceitful schemes, etc. So, um, okay, so let me just ask you, has that happened? Has the church, if in the first century, the church had not attained to mature manhood and the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, has it? When did it achieve that? Now, if the cessationist wants to say, well, the church reached perfect unity when the scriptures were completed, I'd say, really? I mean, have you read Revelation 2 and 3? Um, 
And if you say, well, whenever the canon was finalized, like Dr. Schreiner will say, well, they gradually died out over a few hundred years. Did the, did the church really attain perfect unity or that kind of unity? I won't say necessarily perfect, but uh, the kind of unity described here. Uh, this sounds like the kind of unity that he's describing um, has not been achieved yet, which would mean apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are still necessary. And so uh, we do believe on Remnant Radio that apostles are still around and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We don't believe that the unique 12 apostles are still around. That's quite obvious. Uh, they're unique. Their names are the, on the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. But apostles such as those in 2 Corinthians 8.23, where it's translated messengers of the churches and in the English Standard Version, uh, it's that same Greek word, uh, could be rendered apostles of the churches. Uh, that, that in the sort of missionary, sent ones sense of the word, that there are still apostles uh, and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And according to that verse, they will stick around until the church reaches that level of unity which I'm going to contend has not yet been achieved. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm ready to move on to the next one, unless you guys have a comment on that one. I, I mean, just that, that 13, not just knowledge the Son of God, not just mature manhood, but to what, what standard of matureness, what standard of unity, what standard of knowledge, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Like, Amen. that's the standard. Like, and, and we're talking about, parousia level when we see him we will be like him maturity we are not talking about in this present life kind of maturity I and mean, we're talking about the fullness um and paul himself said i have not yet obtained but i'm pressing on to the mark of the high calling right so like i, I just don't think that you can go hey this this is a, accomplished somehow in the first century i, I think that's a that's a difficult thing I to think claim miller did you have something yeah, sorry. I know that we're going to keep going long on this first comment. You're but good. One's got to wonder exactly what a cessationist think that thinks that the work of the Holy Spirit is. Um, because if you relegate it to just soteriology, then then you're failing to emphasize what the Scripture emphasizes to the degree that the Scriptures emphasize it. So again, I point you to John Mark Ruthven's work when he does this statistical analysis of the use of the Holy Spirit. So you've got the New Testament, which only comprises of one-fourth of the entire Bible, and yet it contains twice as many references to the Holy Spirit. Why would they do that? Well, probably because the New Covenant life is supposed to be a life marked by the Spirit of God, which when you look at 85% of the references to the work of the Spirit means the power of God. So what is the new covenant supposed to look like? I, I just don't think you can relegate the work of the Holy Spirit primarily to soteriology when the biblical emphasis has to do with power to be witnesses. Um, yeah. And so what you want to say that that power is just good for about 50 years? That's it? That's That just doesn't add up, especially when it's trying well, to describe the new covenant life being giving the Spirit. Uh, yeah, well, on that note, on that note, Miller, uh, Ephesians 1 refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of wisdom and revelation, like that this is actually his character. And the Apostle Paul right. prays that the Holy Spirit, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation uh, would, uh, that by this spirit, that we would have the eyes of our heart enlightened so that we might know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. How do we know that? We actually know it by revelation. And if we're going to stick with prayers in Ephesians, uh, then we then we have Ephesians Yeah, what, what good is that prayer today then? What's that? And well, so what yeah, good would that prayer be today if uh, if it only applied to the apostolic uh, era, that, that first you know window of time where they were laying the foundation, quote-unquote? I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, yeah. obviously. Well, yeah, and I think they would say, well, the spirit, there is still the spirit of wisdom and revelation, but I, I, I don't actually know what they would do with... I haven't I'm trying to think of a cessationist I've read on Ephesians one specifically because cessationists tend to say any revelation outside the Bible. Well, wouldn't it is, be re revealing the Bible? Wouldn't it, wouldn't they lean into the depravity of humanity and saying that we're depraved and the truth of the scripture has to be revealed to us supernaturally by the work of the spirit. I think that's, I think that's probably what would they would venture. say. But I don't think I, what I don't think you can say is that's what Paul meant in Ephesians. I just don't, there's no way, uh, not based upon, at that time, cessationism wasn't on the docket. So when he's praying for the Ephesians, he's not saying, 
spirit of wisdom. Well, they're already saved. Just so you can understand the Bible, because all they had was the Old Testament and Ephesians. They yeah. didn't have all the other letters. Yeah, that's, right. That's good but point. you you're at least having to allow for some kind of revelation, right? Absolutely. Like it it's too wooden to say there's no revelation at all outside of the Bible. It, the cessationist has to allow for at least a revelation of the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, Ephesians 1. And um, and so, I, you know, it, I, I'm just saying, it, it's just one verse, one of many. But uh, yeah, let's keep, let's keep going. Yep, yep, let's do it. Uh, we're going to do uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, this is Dr. Stephen Nichols, been on the show before. Love this dude to death. He's fantastic. I don't like this, though. Just have him sit down and work with um, Hebrews 2.3, because I think it's some reflection on exactly what you're talking about within Scripture itself. So you guys sort of follow the pronouns here. But the author says, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared. This is the gospel. It was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard. So there are three groups here. There's the Lord, there's those who heard the Lord, which would be the apostles, and there's the us, the group taught by the apostles. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so those gifts were an attestation of that ministry of the, those who heard directly from Christ. And the author of Hebrews is putting himself outside of that group. And so already within the canon of the New Testament, there is a reflection of a movement beyond the apostles. And I, I think it's an important verse to consider, and I put it in front of them, and be Bereans, and see what the Word teaches. Hmm. Um, I, I would first start off by just mentioning that the word here for gifts is not charismata, uh, which is often the, used word, the often used word for spiritual gift. Uh, and rather, the word that here is used is marismo. And I'm, I'm not going to be a good Greek scholar here because I don't know how to pronounce anything in English. So I'm definitely not going to nail Greek. Uh, uh, marismos, which, uh, which means distribution. So by using the phrase distribu distribution of the Holy Spirit, uh, the writer uh, includes not only spiritual gifts, but other powerful works of the Spirit as well. So this isn't only reductionary, again, to just spiritual gifts. It includes more than just spiritual gifts. Um, Dr. Uh, uh, Jack Deere wrote that again in one of the appendix of his books, Still Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. Uh, Dr. Jack Deere is a lexicographer. He knows 19, at least 19 languages. Actually, I think last time I talked to him, he's like, no, no, it's more than 19. I just couldn't remember how many it was. Um, regardless to say, uh, it's literally his job to tell you what Greek words mean where in the Bible. So uh, yeah, th that, that to say that this uh, argument, uh, though I have great respect for, uh, again, he, he is making a, a statement that is often used. You don't hear him using this statement, but a lot will argue that, look, already at the writing of the book of Hebrews, um, there is already a separation from supernatural things that the people uh, that he's writing to, the, 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 the Hebrew people that he's writing to, they're not experiencing the same kinds of supernatural miracles that Jesus and the apostles were seeing. However, that really can't be the case, according to Hebrews 6, 5. He talks about the powers of the age to come in the very book of Hebrews, that you're tasting of the powers of the age to come. This, again, is language of whether it be healing, because in the age to come, we're going to be perfectly healed. Uh, it could be revelation. It could be knowledge. We're getting tastes and down payment of that now, because when the perfect comes, those things pass away. Uh, so I, I would say that that is not what's being said here. Do you guys want to weigh in on Hebrews 2, 3 through 4? Oh, sure. Uh, first of all, when the verse says, uh, let me just read it again. Uh, after saying, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by us. Uh, it was attested to us by those who heard. An assumption is made here that that's the apostles, because cessationists need this to be apostles. Now, it definitely included apostles, even was primarily apostles, but it was definitely not just apostles. Uh, the, you know, Philip and Stephen, I mean, Stephen takes the gospel, he's the first one to take, he takes it into Samaria before any of the apostles do. He takes the gospel to Ethiopia. Oh, Philip, by Phil the, Philip, right? What, not Stephen? Uh, you're right. Yeah, my bad. Philip uh, takes the gospel to Samaria and to Ethiopia before any of the apostles uh, do. And so it, it, it would be 
it, it would be wrong to say this is just now why do uh, why do cessationists need this to mean apostles because what they're trying to say is their argument flows like this uh their argument flows uh like the apostles were the primary workers of miracles they did miracles to authenticate their apostleship so that they could pass down the doctrine to us now that we have the doctrine encoded in scripture we don't need the sign gifts that authenticated the apostles but the thing is that the signs were never the, the reason they're even called signs in the bible they're called signs and wonders not because they point to the messenger but because they point to the message and uh and so my first argument would be those who heard is not just apostles it includes many non-apostles my second argument would be that it doesn't authenticate the message the message message it authenticates the sorry it doesn't way I'm talking too fast guys uh it doesn't authenticate the messengers that is the apostles it authenticates the message in fact that's the flow of the passage how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation a salvation that has been attested to by these miracle signs and wonders and so uh and so i would argue that the uh that the cessationist point that it, uh, the apostles needed to be authenticated by miracles and now uh that that we have their doctrine we don't need miracles anymore that's not the point of this text at all it's not saying that and so uh i i would just say that it's a it's a nine it's a non sequitur uh, and then the other thing I would say is that miracles were given for lots of reasons um, besides just authenticating the message of the gospel, which, by the way, I think is still good and necessary. I mean, Acts 1-8 still applies, right? I would say to my cessationist friends, does Acts 1-8 still apply or did it only apply in the first century? Uh, Acts 1-8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Was that only for them or does that apply to us is, is Acts 1-8 for, for the church today? And um, I think the last verse of Acts uh, in Acts 28 implies that this, this is going to keep on going. Uh, we still need signs and wonders to open wide doors for evangelism. And, uh, and so uh, I listed a, a few other reasons God gives these miracles. To open wide doors for evangelism, to express God's compassion, to glorify God, to edify the church. All these reasons are still valid. So why would God stop giving signs and wonders? So uh, anyway, I, I had several arguments there, but you guys feel free to respond to any of them. The, something else I'd mentioned in there about the uh, power to be a witness. So they needed power to be a witness, but we don't. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, so Jesus will say this about John 9. He says, we must work the works of God while it is day for night is coming when the work will cease. And the work he's talking about is the blind man receiving his sight. Well, did the work of God cease after the apostles or are we still doing the work of God? Um, because then you look at John 10 when Jesus is responding to the Pharisees about the man who was just healed, the, the work that Jesus demonstrated. He says in John 10, 37, hey, don't believe me unless I do the works of him who sent me. Don't even believe my message unless I'm doing these works. But if I'm doing these works, at least believe in them so you may also come to believe in me. So here's the great question. If Jesus himself if he needed miraculous works healing blind people to demonstrate his message how much more so do we today are any of us better at preaching the gospel than jesus was and then if paul in in you know corinthians says i, I didn't come to you with a space persuasive speech but rather with a demonstration of power so that your faith wouldn't rest on the wisdom that comes from men but on the power that comes from god so if paul the apostle needed these miraculous works to demonstrate his gospel to the corinthians well, how much more so do we, unless we think we're better witnesses than Jesus and Paul the Apostle? Like it just doesn't add up. If you're making the miraculous works simply about authenticating certain messengers, well, then right. what about the messengers which, today? Which, yeah. uh, which there is no Bible verse, not a single one that says that signs were given to authenticate messengers. There's not. Well, it's the linchpin of cessationist argumentation, many cessationists, and it's a, it doesn't exist in the Bible. And I, uh, I think they're absolutely. guilty of of implying that the Holy Spirit and God and the Father really cared about evangelizing that first generation when Jesus and the apostles were around, but not so much the rest of us, not the rest of the ages until the it was a moment in the work will actually stop. Right? Yeah, 
the the works so when does the work stop when there's no need for it because we have resurrection bodies there's no need for healing so when you look at first corinthians 13 about when the gifts cease it comes at a point when because they're not needed they're they're rendered useless there's no need to heal somebody when everybody has a resurrection body and so the 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 works that jesus is mentioning are the same works that we're doing today and it's the same gospel that we're preaching today and those works are meant to be uh, a a form of witness alongside the message and so when in hebrews 2 when he says um it was communicated through the lord confirmed by those who heard him while while god confirmed their witness with signs and wonders another way of reading that in the greek is god bearing witness together so the idea is that the way that the that God bears witness alongside any of us who are witnesses of Jesus and his resurrection, God bears witness through signs. That's not meant to just say this is only for one time period. That's for all time. That's how things work. God always bears witness to his own word. Yeah. And 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 I would want to kind of maybe disrupt the categories that Steve Nichols submitted there um, because um, I think that he, he creates this distinction of us and them. You know, those who heard, those were the apostles. Um, but I think that that reads too much into the text. Again, it feels like there's a theological argument that needs, needs to be made. It to be that and this way. is the proof text that exists so that you can make it that way. Um, this is what Do- uh, Dr. Jack Deere says about Hebrews 2, 3 through 4. The author of Hebrews uh, is not limiting this text to the apostles. He does not say that the message was confirmed by the apostles, but that the message was confirmed by those who heard the Lord. The apostles were not the only ones who heard the Lord. Others heard him also, um, and others did miracles and received the gifts of the Spirit. The writer of Hebrews is saying uh, that neither he nor the audience heard the Lord directly or saw his miracles directly. They first heard the message about the Lord Jesus through those who heard him directly. Uh, When they heard this message, God confirmed it by working signs and wonders through the group that preached to them. So again, this, this creates a category where he goes, those who heard him, those must be apostles. But Jesus is traveling with 5,000 people, you know, at various points in his ministry, maybe 10,000 at other points of his ministry. And you're saying that he taught those don't qualify as those who heard, but it's only the 12? Like, that seems so restricted. There's 120 in the upper room. And, and when the Spirit was poured out on them and they were added to daily, you know, and many signs and wonders were done by through the hands of the apostles or, or in Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 5, when the miracles were done through the Galatian church or, or in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, where gifts of the Spirit were done through the church of Jesus Christ, that all of those miracles, that those don't count. It was only the 12. Like, it's too restrictive of the text. Hebrews isn't saying only the apostles heard and only the apostles shared and only the apostles were attested to by signs, wonders and miracles. It's saying that those who heard went and delivered the message and of those who had delivered the message, miracles accompanied them. It doesn't say apostles. You actually have to read that into the text. Um, guys, right. are we ready to and, move on to the argument yeah, of 56 AD? Or I, didn't, I didn't hear you mention, maybe you did, but did you mention Hebrews 6, how it suggests that they did see, whenever that says they mm-hmm. tasted the powers of the age to come, uh, it sounds like miracles. Maybe it just means salvation, uh, but it, it sounds like probably miracles is what it's talking about there. So, yeah, um, I mentioned that at the top uh, before okay. before I dived into that little passage there. Uh, so uh, there's this next clip where Steve Lawson is real short, suggests that all of the miracles basically ended by 56 A.D. I don't know how he came to that conclusion, but let's watch that clip. Yeah. Also, there's no mention of these miraculous sign gifts in the New Testament past the year 56 or 57 A.D. with the book of First Corinthians. I mean, once you get past that to the later general epistles and even Paul's later uh, epistles, it, it, there's no mention of these gifts, and it gives an indication of them beginning to pass off the scene. And just to clarify, what I was trying to say earlier is when you lay the foundation once, that's when those signed gifts were given. But as each subsequent floor is built up from this foundation, those gifts were a part of the foundation. They're, they're not on, in an ongoing manner. And and uh, to be fair uh, to Steve on this, uh, for those of you who are watching, you know we're gonna we're gonna try to tear this to shreds. Um, he was not saying this as like, hey, this is my best argument. This is my rock solid, ironclad theological argument. Um, uh, he he presented Ephesians two twenty. Uh, his compatriot presented you know Hebrews two three through four, and now he is saying, oh, as an additional kind of 
tertiary thing. Like when we're talking, we would supporting appeal to evidence. scripture. Yeah, yeah. We would appeal to scripture as the ultimate authority, but then we might also bring up church history. He's not saying like this is the strongest argument he's got in his arsenal. So I want to be fair to him in that. Uh, but I also want to say that 56 AD, the last mentioned of these kinds of miracles, isn't that shocking if the Apostle Paul died in like 66 AD? Uh, if you've already taught sufficiently about signs, wonders, and miracles being performed by the hands of the apostles um, or done throughout the church of Jesus Christ, why would you need to bring it up again? Like, why do you need to keep bringing up the fact that miracles are being Something done? Something that is widely known and understood. Which is not well, widely known and understood prescriptively, but also descriptively. And and I don't know where he's coming up with this number 56. And I know that, that uh, there's a lot of different interpretations and understandings of like, hey, this is when this book is dated and there's when that book is dated. There's a lot of different debate on that. So so again, I, I want to be gracious towards him. But, but uh, from what I understand, the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked in Malta around 60 A.D., and he healed the entire island of people on the island of Malta in 60 AD. Five years later, he dies and gets beheaded. So this idea that, okay, well, the, the miraculous gift somehow ceased after he wrote to the church of Corinth doesn't make sense because at the very end of Paul's life at Malta, you know, performs all of these miracles, heals a whole island full of people, then goes off to Rome to beheaded. So there wasn't a lot of time between being shipwrecked and getting beheaded where he's like under house arrest to be performing like tons of miracles and signs in, you know, in the market square. He was under house arrest. So I, I, the argumentation that the apostles weren't performing miracles, you know, towards the end of their ministry is an argument from silence. And, and it's not a biblical one because and, and here's again something that I want. I want our audience to notice. We have timestamps of when the apostolic gifts will cease. Um, we have Ephesians chapter 4 that we mentioned earlier, uh, verse 13. Uh, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. This is, you abound in every spiritual gift until the appearing of our Lord. You have 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe it's verse 12. When the perfect comes, right, the partial will pass away. When the perfect comes, prophecy ceases, tongues cease. What's the perfect? Even cessationist scholars such as Tom, Tom Schreiner are, are clear that this is referring to the parousia. Paul believed this was the appearing of Jesus Christ. And when Christ appeared, tongues and, and prophecy would cease because the perfect Jesus would come. The idea that this is the completion of the canon would have been foreign to the New Testament church that Paul was writing to. They wouldn't have known that the perfect would have referred to scripture. Uh, in, in fact, and regardless, it would also contradict 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul says that you would abound in every spiritual gift until the appearing of our Lord. So we have Ephesians chapter 4. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, in addition to that, we have the prophecy in Acts 2 and Joel that in the last days, a, a dispensation, if you will, a period of time and, and, and will uh, that was inaugurated by uh, the apostles in Acts chapter 2 by the work of the Spirit and the giving of the new covenant until the day of the Lord. The last days is an eschatological period of time theologically where these gifts are going to continue until the day of the Lord. So we have over and over and over theological time markers that tell us exactly when the gifts of the Spirit will cease and they will cease when Christ appears but then you have these guys going, well, you know, we don't see very many gifts, therefore they must have ended. And oh, you know, it says that the apostles perform signs, therefore that's all that apostles do. And what they're doing is they're trying to create a theological category and import it into texts that have nothing to do with it. The Bible has already given us timestamps on when the gifts of the Spirit will cease, yeah. and it's none of these. Sorry, I've monologued. No, I would just say it's not necessarily an argument from silence. It's just a wrong argument. They're just wrong about that, flat out, because we Jeez. have plenty of quotes from the, that time soon after of the miracles and prophecies continuing to exist. So I wouldn't just say it's, it's an argument from silence. I just say it's wrong, just flat well, out, I, based I on what, what the scriptures themselves say. I think say. what Lawson is trying to say is that no epistles mention gifts of the Holy, like mention the quote unquote sign gifts. So uh, that if you, that if you walk through the rest of the epistles, there's no, there's not like a first Corinthians 14, or 12 talking about these various gifts. And so I, I think that's the claim but that he's trying to make. the epistles don't mention discipleship after Acts 21. Well, Acts 21 right. is I was the last make the time where discipleship is used. So it doesn't mean that discipleship has ceased. It's just an established well, theological category. It, yeah, it comes down to the nature of epistles because epistles were very pointed in their purpose. And so- They were to bring correction uh, and like clarification. When, when Paul says now about spiritual gifts, 
you know, I don't want you to be unaware or and now about food sacrificed idols. I want you to know, like he's responding to questions that they've had. When he writes to the Galatians, he's responding to a heresy in Galatia that has arisen. They've been severed from grace, etc. And so, uh, the you can't just you can't pigeonhole the uh, the epistles in such a way that that you make that kind of statement, or else because here's another one. Um, the last time that any direct and and you guys. Uh, run through the little Rolodex in your own mind and see if you can, you can prove me wrong on this, but I think this is true. Um, I can't think of any mention of the Lord's supper, uh, any clear and uh, clear direct mention of the Lord's supper after first Corinthians 11. Um, are we to conclude now? I say it that way, clear and direct some, some, and not, not even most will say that in Hebrews six, like tasted the powers of the age to come, but that's about communion. I, I think that's phony. Um, but uh, th there's no obvious and probably no references to communion after first Corinthians 11. And so uh, yet Jesus instructs us to do so. Uh, actually, first Corinthians 11, uh, 11 tells us to do so until Jesus comes. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So just because it's not been mentioned in another epistle doesn't mean that we're supposed to cease doing it. I mean, man, we're, we're going to cease doing a lot of things if, if our criteria is the epistles have to reaffirm it over and over again, or even just reaffirm it for it to be considered something we need to do. Uh, that, that's just a phony argument. So I would agree yeah. with you, Josh. And, uh, and also, man, there's so many different interpretations of Revelation 11, so I wouldn't bring it to bear in any strong way. But in Revelation 11, depending on how one interprets that, you do have the two, uh, the two prophets uh, performing lots of signs and wonders. Lots of people think that represents the church. As many the as church. they want, lots in fact. People, <laughs> yeah, lots of people think it represents the church. Lots of people think it represents, I mean, it's just two prophets. Um, some people think their signs and wonders are symbolic. Others literal, you know, it runs the gamut. But my point is, there you, you do have Revelation 11 mention of it. So there you go. Well, uh, not only is this, like, again, if we're going to make date arguments on this is when we see, we see the gifts no longer mentioned in the Bible, you also have to kind of take that claim against church history. And there's been a lot of misinformation on church history that has circulated about, well, you know, we know that the gifts of the Spirit ceased at this date, and they're all different dates, what cessationists claim. I would encourage people, just just go get on Scribd, okay, S-C-R-I-B-D, 10 bucks a month to get access to the whole library, Sam Storm's books, Jack Deere's books, D.A. Carson's books, uh, uh, Craig Keener's books. All of them are online. Spend 10 bucks a month. You can get through the whole library. Um, it's super cheap. Um, but chapter seven of Understanding Spiritual Gifts, a Comprehensive Guide, Sam goes through a detailed account throughout church history with quotes and citations of all of these scholars, or not scholars, men of God, patristics, you know, Cappadocian fathers, all these guys walking through all of the different guys who claim to see supernatural gifts of the Spirit taking place in the church, such as prophecy, such as tongues, uh, and, and other various gifts, such as healings and miracles. He, he quotes in his book, Justin, Meyer, uh, Ju Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Theodosius, uh, uh, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, uh, Hippolytus, uh, Cyprian, uh, the Bishop of Carthage, uh, uh, Gregory of... Uh, I can't pronounce that last name. Uh, Eusebius uh, of Caesarea, uh, Cyril of Jerusalem, Basil of Caesarea, uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, uh, uh, Gregory of uh, uh, no, Nisa. Gregory of Nisa, Gregory of Nazianzus, uh, Augustine, and, and many more. If you go look through that list again, tons of citations of people throughout church history, and this these dates, I mean, are from you know early one hundreds uh, to the late four hundreds. I mean, we're seeing guys experiencing miracles for hundreds of years after the apostles hundreds of years so it's not like it just vanished all of a sudden and there's theological regions why we see less of it in church history after the 400s um, but here's a quote from da carson that kind of summarizes a lot of those data points it says there is enough uh evidence uh, uh that some form of charismatic gifts continued uh Sp uh, sporadically across the centuries of church history that is uh, that it is futile to insist on doctrinal grounds that every report is uh, spurious or the fruit of demonic activity or uh, 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 psychological aberration. So D.A. Carson says literally in every century you can find somewhere where the gifts of the Spirit were active uh, and alive. So I would just and not just people, miracles but gifts. Yeah. Gifts of the Spirit. 
Yeah, go me, check those out. I want to read that quote that I, I put on here. Andrew yeah, Wilson did a debate with Tom Schreiner, and you can actually find his uh, article in the Gospel Coalition. Uh, but I'm just going to read a small section of it here in his debate with Tom Schreiner. So Justin Martyr claimed the prophetical gifts remain with us even to the present time. Irenaeus said those who are in truth, his disciples perform miracles according to the gift given them. So clearly Irenaeus was on the side of the continuation, uh, including driving out demons, seeing visions, uttering prophetic expressions, healing the sick, raising the dead, speaking in other languages and declaring the mysteries of God. Eusebius uses his excerpt to demonstrate that the various gifts remained among those who were worthy even until that time. Tertullian trash talks Marcion like Elijah on Mount Carmel by daring his God to predict things to come, make manifest the secrets of the heart, interpret tongues or prophecy before claiming that all these signs are forthcoming from my side without any difficulty. Origin regarding the scope of the gifts as having diminished, but certainly not disappeared. There are still preserved among Christians traces of the Holy Spirit, which appeared in the form of the dove. They expel evil spirits. They perform many cures. They foresee certain events according to the will of the Logos. Basil the Great said, The Spirit enlightens all, inspires prophets, gives wisdom to lawmakers, consecrates priests, empowers kings, perfects the just, exalts the prudent, is active in gifts of healing, gives life to the dead, frees those in bondage, turns foreigners into adopted sons. Cyril of uh, Jerusalem explained, He employs the tongue of one man for wisdom, the soul of another enlightens by prophecy. To another, he gives power to drive away devils. And Augustine, as we know, lists an extraordinary range of healings from blindness, rectal fistula, breast cancer, gout, paralysis, hernia, demonization, and even death. From a purely historical perspective, then, the idea that the miraculous gifts suddenly stopped when the last apostle died is simply untenable. There are, of course, cessationists like Tom who grant this point and see the cessation of prophecy and other miraculous gifts as happening gradually across the first four centuries. But this concession is crucial because it shows that there is no necessary conflict between the foundational, infallible, apostolic teaching and ongoing prophetic insight. That is the point that the charismatics have been making for decades. I and would like everyone statement. who read that, I mean, you read that really well. I want people to back that up and keep watching it. But, but if you back it up and watch him say those quotes again, make sure you keep an eye on his face when he says rectal fistula. Uh, he had a hard time. <laughs> I knew that face. was coming, dude. You, you had Josh. Totally true. Rectal fistula. Totally true. That's, that's where you sold him. That's actually I nothing. I heard rectal hey, fistula. Josh, we are laughing at that. I'll, Josh, I'll rectal pray for your rectal fistula. is what sold Josh on, uh, on continuation. Is that, is that correct, hey. Josh? Believe it or not, I've seen hemorrhoids healed multiple times. I haven't seen it. With my to, own the glory, to the glory of no. I haven't seen it. I haven't Take seen the word it. For it bro. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on. Okay, so we've, it's 51, right, 41. We've got, we've got 51 minutes. We've got nine minutes left in the program. Do we want to tackle another argument? The next one is Revelation Undermines Scripture. That yeah, one's going to be. Let's do it next week. I think we'll do it next week. week. We got, kind of I think we went through three videos. Week. We've got four more left to hit next we week. Definitely going to do it. Yeah. Lots of good content to respond to. Uh, but but as you see, a lot of these things, you know, um, I, I, guys, Michael Rountree is one of the uh, best Bible memorizers of anyone that I know. Fantastic scholar, great at uh, teaching, preaching the scriptures. Um, but Michael will tell you the first time he came on Remnant Radio, we were talking about, you know, uh, uh, once saved, always saved. And we had a conversation and Michael later was like, man, I had not had someone from the opposite side engage with me on the subject in such a long time that I didn't feel like I gave good answers to my words. Now, if we had that conversation today, Michael Roundtree would beat me under a rock with uh, the Bible because he's been engaging with lots of people who have different opinions on these subjects. And I feel like what's happening is that there's like a theological echo chamber in the cessationist space right now. And they keep saying these things as if they're factual. Like, well, we know that the gifts of the Spirit ended in 56 AD. No. You know, like, we, we, we know that Ephesians 2.20 means this. We know that Hebrews 2.3 says this. And, and, and what happens is it creates this really weird echo chamber where there's no pushback. And I'm telling you, there are fantastic theological arguments on the other side of this that I just don't think that the cessationists are engaging with. When I find no, they're definitely uh, not. When I find cessationists and I submit these arguments to them, I sat down with a Lutheran pastor when we were trying to find a church to go to. And, and as I was trying to take, uh, I asked him permission to take communion. And he goes, well, we need to have a conversation about that first. So we went and sat and talked to the coffee shop. And he goes, you told me when we met that you were charismatic. You know, what does that mean? 
and I explained that the gifts of the Spirit have continued. And then he goes, well, this is what we believe about this. And then I just, like, by memory, went through all the Bible verses of why all of his arguments were bunk. And he just said, I think I brought, a, like, a knife to a gunfight. Like, it was obvious that he hadn't engaged with someone on the other side in a meaningful way. And I would just encourage people, read our scholars We've got fantastic scholars. We've got Craig Keener. We've got Wayne Grudem. We've got Sam Storms. We've got Jack Deere. We've got John Mark Ruthven. I mean, we've got so many guys who who have presented healthy, biblical, theologically sound, like like top of the class when it comes to you know theological insights. These guys were all most of them former presidents of the Evangelical Theological Society. I mean, they're not they're not nobodies. I mean, they are scholars of scholars. Check these guys out. Read their material. Because I, I really think that your arguments just don't hold water when you compare them. Uh, was it Michael, again, will give me the address of this proverb, but like a man always seems right in his own eyes until like his opponent speaks up and gives his position. And, and I feel like that's kind of where we're at with the Proverbs subject of cessationism. Say it again. I said Proverbs 18. I See, again, it's disgusting. <laughs> it really, it's disgusting, Michael. Just, just for once, I want you to be like, I don't know. I don't know where that verse is. That would be so great. <laughs> Uh, you, Josh, I, I think that's a good point because these are really smart guys who have tons of great things to contribute exegetically and biblically. And they're talking amongst all their friends with who all agree with them. And they're probably at a conference with people who are all agreeing with them. And uh, and when it's something you just haven't been challenged on in a long time, you, you just your your mind. I, I don't know. And, and let, let's be fair, too. This was one one little clip and it could be that sure. you know maybe they've written robust papers on this somewhere else and uh and, and so that you know well all like those we, things we haven't true, seen but. we haven't seen anybody respond to jack's surprise by the spirit we haven't seen anybody respond to on the cessation of the gifts by john mark ruthven well like it, literally except, I, i've not seen like all the john MacArthur, except like john MacArthur, which is full of like um insults and ad hominem. just ad hominem yes yeah, so and just misrepresentation. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't actually responded to their books and their articles he would say stuff about them but he's never I actually can't responded to I can't remember actual when, arguments yeah i can't remember when charismatic chaos was written if it was before or after it was written jack. prior what what jack quotes okay. it it's it, jack's uh book is actually a response to it in many ways okay but well, no there was the strategy what y'all what y'all really need to yeah. do is wait for American Gospel Three to publish when Dr. Michael Brown and Sam Storms uh, have a roundtable with Justin Peters. Have you seen the clip? I'm excited for it. You know, uh, Kimber sent me a video saying, "Hey, here's the American here's like a first rough cut or something of American Gospel," and he gave me a password to go watch it. I have not had the time to sit down and watch a two hour video. Um, he sent it to me like two or three weeks ago, um, but. I don't know. If it's in there, I'm going to be ecstatic. Uh, Sam said it went really well, so be excited to see that. Anyway, guys, uh, we want to make it very, very hard to be a cessationist, um, not because we dislike cessationists. Uh, some of my best friends are cessationists. Uh, we want to make it hard to be a cessationist because we believe that God wants you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, one, in your day-to-day -day life uh, in such a way that it glorifies God in heaven. And, and it promotes the gospel to those who are lost. So it saves those who are broken. It, it, it heals up, edifies, encourages those who are in the faith, and it glorifies God in heaven as we go about and do these things. So uh, we want to encourage you, when, when we make videos like this, we're not doing this to shame the cessationists, to say like, hey, look how dumb these are. No, no, no. It, we, we want to do these things because we believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for you today and that they glorify God and edify his people. So we'd encourage you, you know, if this is a new space for you, you're not quite sure what to think about this. We've got an entire playlist on cessationism. We have playlists on the gifts of the spirit. We encourage you to go check out those things. They're free. If you're really wanting to dive in, uh, check out some of those scholars that I mentioned. Uh, would you guys have any kind of closing thoughts that you'd want to pass away uh, before we pass away? <laughs> because the gifts <laughs> won't, but we will eventually. <laughs> Uh, this reaffirmation of our love for our cessationist brothers. That yeah, they're the best. Miller? Uh, I will never nothing. cease I, loving uh, them. I will, I will never, never cease, cease loving them. To love the <laughs> I will continue to love them. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Runner Radio. If you want to support the channel, there are links in the description to do so. The top link is a gift on PayPal. If you want to give on the bottom link, uh, the one right underneath that top link is a Patreon. As low as five bucks a month to get access to 
extra content if you choose to give on Patreon. If you're watching this video right now and you haven't subscribed, smash that subscribe button. If you liked the video, hit the like button. If you disliked it, hit the dislike button twice, and we will see you next Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.